We thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And we pray, Father, that today you would manifest your light not only to us, but in us. That a world that dwells in darkness might see who you are through us. In Jesus' name, amen. I took off my microphone so that I could hold the babies. So... I'll put it back on. In popular literature, from Dickens to uh, Dr. Seuss, we learn that there is a dark side to Christmas. From um, Stingy Scrooge to the greedy Grinch, whose heart is just one size too small, we learn that even at Christmas time there is darkness. Often life imitates art, as we heard from Wellington, Florida this week, where someone stole baby Jesus again. From the nativity. Happens somewhere every year, but this year the thieves were thwarted by Lojack, of all things. GPS device located strategically in the baby led the police to an apartment where the baby Jesus was reportedly lying face down on the carpet. And maybe you hear stories like that and and say with me, who would steal the baby Jesus? I mean, what's the point? Um, Why would anybody do that? But our literature and our lives closely mirror the original story of Christmas. And today, as we continue to journey through the Gospel of Mark and uh, or Matthew and Matthew's story of Jesus' birth, we find in this particular passage the story of Herod uh, working out his evil intent, trying to harm Jesus and harming the lives of many children and families weeping over the loss of children. And I wanted to think with you today about um, this story and how you and I might welcome the King when He comes our way. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. We have thought about watching for the King and waiting and last week worshiping the King. This week we welcome the King and then in our Christmas Eve services... This Wednesday night at 4.30 and, and 6 and 11, we'll continue this story. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, He was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called 
a Nazarene. You may be seated. What an amazingly dramatic story we've seen in these weeks. The dreams who appeared, uh, the angels who appeared in dreams and the story of how God dramatically intervenes in the life of Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. And in the background we see this king, this um, usurper, this Idumean king, Herod, who wants for all the world to make sure that his throne is secure. So determined is he that he will kill his own sons, he will kill anybody this story is, is directly in keeping with what we know about Herod. But greater than King Herod is the king who sits on the throne of the universe. And he is working out his plan. So years before, through prophets, he foretold a, a baby that would be born in Bethlehem, who would become a shepherd, who would be a ruler to God's people. And then again, we read from Hosea, Matthew reminds us that God said, I will call my son out of Egypt. In the Old Testament, this fulfilled God's uh, deliverance of His people in the Exodus. But in the New Testament, it points us to the idea that God is still at work. He is still on His throne. And when Herod works out his uh, malevolent scream, this, this um, megalomaniac kills the lives of these children, we think, probably not thousands of children, but maybe in a, a town that size in that day, maybe a dozen children or fifteen And lives are lost and families weep and it fulfills this image from Jeremiah of Rachel, uh, the wife of Jacob, who is seen here as the the mother of Israel and she is weeping over these children who are lost. Legend said she was buried there in that same area of Bethlehem. And so we weep with those who weep in the loss of children. And then we find finally this fulfillment of prophecy of prophets. He says this is a little more difficult to track, but perhaps from Isaiah, Netzer, a root, and out of this root of David will come a branch, and the branch, Netzer, will be Jesus, and he will be called a Nazarene. And Jesus grows up there in Nazareth. And in this dramatic story, we see that God's plan is ultimately fulfilled, that He brings His Son and He keeps Him safe through dramatic ways, through dreams and through angels and through the obedience, through the aegis of human beings like us, like Joseph and unknown people in Egypt and Nazareth who find a way to protect a child who has been born and then ultimately prepare that child for all that God has in store for His Son who will be the Savior of of the world. And to this day, I think if the king came to us riding on a white horse, if Jesus showed up at the consummation of the ages and were we given the opportunity, I believe we would welcome him with open arms and and welcome the king as he came triumphantly to us. But what if he came to us as he did in these days? Or as Mother Teresa has said, in his distressing disguise, what if the king came to us In the form of a child whom we encountered this week, a child perhaps who was in need, somebody to whom we could minister. Because in this same gospel, in the chapter, chapter 18, in verse 5, we find Jesus saying, anyone who welcomes a child in my name is welcoming me. And he goes on to say, anyone who would harm a child, it would be better for that person to be thrown into the sea with the anchor of a millstone tied around his neck than to harm one of these little ones. We see Jesus embracing the children as they are brought to Him. Though His disciples are indignant and they want to keep the itinerary, Jesus always has time for children. And 
How could you and I welcome King Jesus today? We have the chance as we welcome children. As we love children in Jesus' name, in a real way, we are welcoming Him. As we protect them from harm. As we prevent people who would harm them in some way from harming them. As we provide at Tallowood a safe and healthy place for them to grow up. And I speak as one whose children grew up in this very place. Who were loved and nurtured and discipled by you. You who loved them and taught them Sunday school and taught them the Bible so that they could grow up and love the Lord. And I can't think of a better or safer place in the world than this congregation in which to raise children. Especially as we dedicate the children today. We have great dreams for these children. We believe that God has great dreams for them. We envisioned as we built the new buildings behind me, the the children's and preschool buildings, that these would be the places where the children would be taught who would grow up to become the next generation of missionaries who would go and take the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. And with that dream in our hearts, in our minds, I welcome you to join me in this ministry of welcoming the King by protecting children and providing a safe place for them. And I was struck this week as I read this story, are you, by the vulnerability of Jesus, that God has to take these dramatic steps through angels in dreams again and again and again, intervening in this world to protect a child. And we live in a world that sometimes understands more the divinity of Jesus Christ than His humanity. So in some way, through the years, there were those who told stories about what Jesus did when He was down in Egypt. They, they said, well, His swaddling clothes touched a leprous child and the leprous child was healed. And there are all kinds of stories that would emphasize the divinity of Jesus. But Matthew shows us His vulnerability, His humanity. How vulnerable was God when He came into the world? As vulnerable as the smallest of children we dedicated to the Lord today. So God takes extreme measures to protect Him. But it's not as though as some would in some sort of cartoonish way envision Jesus the baby uh, standing up and pointing a finger at Herod and banishing Him in some way. This is not who He was. He came in vulnerability so that He might understand everything we understand and live as we live and be hungry and thirsty and tired. This is our Savior who comes to us in the form of humanity. And now as then, there are people who would do grievous harm to children. We read the story of Herod and we understand his rage, his anger, literally when it says that he had been Uh, I think the King James Version says in verse 16, mocked by the Magi. He's outwitted by them, certainly. It says he was furious. And the word in the passive tense means that his anger just overcame him. It just just consumed him. And this is consistent with the story we know about him when the angel says uh, back in, in verse 13, Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Well, Herod is one who killed his own sons. And so when we read in, in the continuing story, out of Egypt I call my son we hear that, that Herod was so insistent on killing the children that Jesus must go down to Egypt with his family. And then, and then Herod uh, kills the children in Bethlehem. And then his son Archelaus, who rules in his stead, who is also frightening to Joseph, is one who, when he ascended the throne, had 3,000 people killed so that he might uh, assure his own kingship and keep up the reputation of his father. This story is entirely consistent with what we understand. There were people in the first century who would harm children. And as I drove up to Waco this week, I was speaking at the commencement of 
Truett Seminary there in Waco. And as I was on my way up, I listened to the news conference about little Kaylee Anthony. The story that has gripped our nation. The story of a child and wondering where the child was and what has become of the child. And now they have identified the remains of this little girl. And I'm not passing any judgment on anybody. I don't know what happened, but I know this. A child was harmed. And this goes to the very depth of our souls. The the one of us who is perhaps the least compassionate cannot remain unmoved by a story like that. Like Rachel, whom Jeremiah prophesied about, we weep over the loss of children. And who wasn't moved by uh, Joe Walsh, this founder of America's Most Wanted, when this week there was some resolution of the story of his own son, Adam, who was, they believe, killed by a serial killer. And And this father weeping there at the rostrum with his wife, talking about his son whom he called an old soul, a a son whom he said was so kind, who was taken as a victim. And and as this story was resolved, somebody said, well, wait a minute, how does this really resolve your pain? Because you weren't looking for revenge, but you always said you were looking for justice. And this man, Otis Toole, who was supposed to have killed your son, was never tried for that crime. And I listened to Joe with the heart of a a heartsick father who said, I have to believe that after this life, somewhere we will answer for what we do. I don't know what his theology is, but I heard in his heart cry, the heart cry of all who have ever lost a child, who have ever endured the agony of losing a son or daughter. And I want you to understand that God is in tune with that kind of pain. And I hear Jesus say later in In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verse 2, where he says, if anybody harms one of these children, it would be better for them to be thrown into the depths of the ocean with a millstone around their neck. It's in this Gospel as well, right after Jesus says in, in Matthew 18, whoever welcomes a child welcomes me. He says, whoever harms a child is as if he's saying, they're also harming me and they will be held responsible for what they do. We live in a world where people still try to harm children. And in that kind of world, I I see that God looks at the vulnerability of his son. And he might have chosen anyway. He might have raised up an army of angels to protect his son. But instead, he works through the aegis, through the agency of humankind. People like us. People like Joseph, who was a carpenter. Did he have any idea what he was getting into when he was betrothed to Mary? But God knew. God knew the heart of this righteous man and how he would be obedient and how Jesus would be raised in the home of a father who was obedient to the heavenly father and a mother who would pray, be it unto me according to your word. And in that home where parents were obedient, Jesus was nurtured and loved and kept safe and healthy. And I believe this is very close to the heart of the heavenly father. I don't know who these nameless people in Egypt are. But I read this week, I didn't know that in Alexandria at that time, there was a community of Jews. Philo says there was a community of perhaps perhaps a million Jews lived in that one city, protected there in that place. Alexander the Great had established that city and named it after himself. And there they had found safety. Surely Joseph and Mary were not alone. Perhaps using the gifts given to them by the Magi, they were able to survive and to afford the trip down into Egypt. And if you wonder how far that trip would be, for instance, from Egypt or Alexandria back to Nazareth, I took such a journey myself yesterday. We were in McKinney, Texas, just north of Dallas, and we drove back through Waco and picked up another car and came back down 
to Houston. A trip like that without the benefit of a Honda or a Toyota riding on a donkey or however they were transported. A very long, arduous, difficult journey and and people must have helped them along the way. In fact, um, not only in Egypt, but also in Nazareth, there were those who protected and provided safety and prepared a place. And I believe this is the work of the church, that God calls us to this kind of ministry. Some years ago, I had the privilege of pastoring a family in another city, in another church, and they had a daughter and two little boys, and the daughter was a little bit older. And one day we got close enough to them that they told us their story about their daughter, about how this uh, young mother, when she was a teenager, very dedicated to the Lord, had been walking in a dark area of the little town she lived in and was violently attacked. And out of that, a child was conceived. And the child that was conceived was this little girl. And how her church family said to her, because you are choosing to take this child, and they knew her story, because you're choosing to love this child, we choose to love this child. And you'll never buy a diaper for this baby. Because we'll buy them for you. You'll never have to buy formula. Never have to, to buy clothes. Because we will take care of you as you take care of this baby. And then in God's providence, a young man who loved her. And they had two sons. And, and they named this little girl Grace. And I tell you, every time I saw her walking on our church campus, I saw the grace of God. Manifest not only through parents who loved her, but through a church family back in the southeast to had the audacity to live the gospel as well as preach the gospel. And there are all kinds of people ranting and preaching and proclaiming about what we ought to do about this and that. But it is those finally who live the gospel who manifest the grace of God in our world. And I would like for us to be that kind of congregation. And I know you, like me, perhaps have benefited from Susan and Carol's armies of people who, who take in our children every week and love them and teach them and raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and assist these families. And I love these people. I've watched them, some of them grow older, some of them graduate all the way to heaven, like Herb McIntosh, and I could call other names. And then I I see others like Sue Stone and Ruth Brewer who are loving the children. And I was just wondering, who will step in to their shoes and continue that ministry in a new generation as God brings more and more children our way and I wonder if you and I had the chance this week if we would love the children in Jesus name it's easy to love our own children our grandchildren I found myself in Waco waiting for my family to come I had a direct responsibility to buy some of the wrapping paper and scissors and tape so that we could complete wrapping gifts for my nephews and so I went to the Walmart I don't spend a lot of time in Walmart I don't spend a lot of time in any store these days but it was a great place to watch people. Just, I mean, I don't know that people knew I was watching, but I was just watching a slice of Americana that I don't encounter every day, to be truthful. And I watched and I wondered if, if somebody brought a child named Jesus and pronounced it Jesus, how open our hearts would be. How would we love the children in Jesus' name. One of our new families has just come from the nation's capital, McLean Bible Church there. And they, they tell me that their pastor has a, a child who is a special needs child. 
And he just said, you know what, we're not going to do everything great in our church, but we can do some things great and we can be a church that loves the special needs children. And they have made that their ministry in the nation's capital. They are known for that. And can I just say thank you publicly to those who love and minister to the special needs children in our congregation We don't stand them up on the platform. They don't want any public notice. But I tell you, Sunday after Sunday, they love these children. They love these children who love the Lord in their own way and who need so much to be loved by a church family. And I don't know what we're going to do well over the next 20 years, but I would like to think that we're going to do that well. Like like David who found a place at his table for Mephibosheth out of love, for his friend Jonathan, can we, can we continue always to have a place at the table of Tallowood for the children, to love them and minister to them and to give our very best to them because this is so close to the heart of the Heavenly Father. I know this world is not always safe. I read the stories that you read, but the church ought to be a safe place. And so we screen and we are careful with those who would care for our children. We have two in a room. We we leave nothing to chance because we want to make sure that the children in this place are loved and kept healthy and safe. My friend Dave Peterson down the road has uh, dedicated the, the, the last part of his ministry for however many more years he ministers, 20 or however many years. He wants to be a part of an initiative in Houston so that the children will be healthy and safe, that every child born in this city would be healthy and safe. That would be a good stewardship of the influence of the church as we live out the gospel in these days. We welcome the king when we welcome children by providing a safe and healthy place for them. And we welcome the king when we not only provide a safe place and protect them from harm, but when we prepare them When we teach them, and you heard Susan say, we want to teach the children from the earliest age the Scripture so that they will learn. And we read in this story about the people of Nazareth, and there comes a day when Jesus goes back to Nazareth, and he's familiar with the synagogue because he's been in that synagogue. I don't know their names, but somebody in that synagogue taught Jesus, the Son of God. They didn't know, did they, whom they were teaching. But they taught Him. So that there would come the day in the fullness of God's time when He would stand as the, as the spiritual King of Israel and He would unroll the, the scroll of Isaiah and say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to proclaim good news, to release the captives and proclaim liberty to them, to recovery of sight to the blind. And Jesus announced His ministry in the synagogue where those people in Nazareth had welcomed Him and loved Him and taught Him. And they didn't know everything about Him. Isn't this Joseph's son, they say. They don't know everything, but they know Him. And I was thinking this ought to be a place where the children are known by name. I know there are systematic ways where thousands of children are, mul- are, are multiplied and ministered to in congregations uh, across our world. And we no longer talk about nurseries with five or ten, but in some churches, hundreds and thousands. And however many children God brings our way, we want to minister to them. But I pray that we will never lose that sense of stewardship, of caring for them individually and knowing them by name. So we don't just hire people to do that. But people like you who feel a calling from God to love the children, like Herb McIntosh who just held the babies, may God raise up a new generation of those who would love the children in Jesus' name, knowing them by name and preparing them so that they can take the name that is above every other name 
to the nations. When we built these buildings, I dreamed that God would raise up a generation of missionaries out of these buildings. And I, I know that it takes more than buildings to do that. It takes lives, people like you and me, teaching the Scriptures, teaching them to sing, loving them and welcoming them in Jesus' name so that they will be prepared. Because we don't know who's over in the nursery this morning. God knows, but we don't. But God has a plan for every one of their lives. And we want that plan to be fulfilled. And for it to be fulfilled, we will have to be faithful. We'll have to be stewards of this opportunity. I'm thankful for those who do that well. And I pray that we will be committed to that. Because we're preparing children for ministry. In a world that will teach your children, without any help from you, how to be selfish. Could we teach them to be Christ-like and unselfish Francis Chan is a young pastor in California who is on my radar screen. He's an incredible young preacher. He'll be preaching to our youth in Spark Week this uh, February. And he has a book called Crazy Love. And in it he tells about the Robinson family in his church who every Christmas Sunday morning wake up early with their children and cook pancakes and coffee and load them up in the car and take a red wagon and go to the inner city of their city and their They feed pancakes, a warm meal and coffee to the people. I think the Robinson children are getting a little different picture of Christmas than the average children in our country. You don't have to do that, but you do have to do something that says in a narcissistic world, it's not really about us. It's about God so loving the world that He gave His only Son. We serve the God who sins, who sent His Son. And if we'll receive it, who sends us into the world. To love children in His name. One of my favorite movies is the the movie Simon Birch. It's the remake of a novel and it's a marvelous story about a 12-year-old boy. He's a dwarf. He learns to play baseball. He's tough to pitch to. Just a very small strike zone, you understand. And this little boy whose parents don't know what to do with him. They treat him with some disdain, to be honest. One morning his father drops him off at church and drives hurriedly away. Little Simon, as fast as his legs will move him, starts heading up that sidewalk where he runs into Mrs. Wentworth and her son Joe, who's his best friend. And Mrs. Wentworth says, I've made something for you, my little angel. She holds out a, a sweater that she has knit for him and he takes that, that sweater and, and he says, this is for me. And she says, yes, it's for you. And she helps him try it on and she pulls out a piece of yarn and it all begins to unravel. And, and Joe says, you look like a hobo, Simon. And Simon is just so grateful and he looks up at Mrs. Wentworth who loves him and says, it's perfect, just like you. Jesus has called us to be perfect. I've been studying sanctification this past semester with some of my students at HBU and I'm not in that camp that thinks immediately, instantly, you and I are sanctified in such a way that we will never sin again. I wish that it were so, but in fact, sanctification is God's work and ours and uh, God is perfecting His work in us. And we are working out our salvation, not working for our salvation, working it out with fear and trembling and God is working in us and all of that is true. But I'll tell you, Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect, therefore, as my Father in heaven is perfect. And I think we are never closer to perfect than when, like Mrs. Wentworth, We find a way to love the children. And the rest of the story of Simon Birch is he is convinced that God has some dramatic plan, destiny for his life. And the pastor of the church doesn't even believe it, but Simon believes it. And that's enough. And when he has his opportunity to rescue drowning children from a bus, 
He uses all of his gifts and in the process becomes ill and loses his own life, but fulfills his destiny. And along the way, there were people who loved Simon Birch. And in case God brings somebody like that across my path today or yours, I want us to be perfect like our Father in heaven is perfect. And we're not perfect, but we're closer than ever when we're loving children. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for welcoming us here. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege of welcoming the children. Father, I thank you that we can all come like little children into your presence and receive the kingdom of God. And I pray, Lord, that we will receive your kingship today, that we will bow the knee and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.